Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. You honestly don't have to look too far to see that the world is really, really getting worse. And it seems in these days that manhood or masculinity is really under attack. Now, I had the pleasure of speaking with Josh Smith, who is a senior pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church. He and his wife, Andrea, have four daughters and one son who is actually a miracle in in and of itself, which we do discuss at the very beginning of this conversation. He's the author of Preaching for a Verdict and co-author of the Psalm 1 to 50 volume in the Christ-Centered Exposition Series. And he has a brand new book out right now, which I believe that every person should actually have on their bookshelf. It is called The Titus 10, Foundations for Godly Manhood. And really, this is a conversation talking about what it means to be not just a good man, but a godly man. What in today's day and age has been so tarnished and so uh, vehemently under attack by many, many uh, demographics, to be honest with you. And we also touch on some things that may be perceived as being quite controversial in today's day and age. I personally don't see why they are really controversial when this is from my standpoint. I believe that there is a ordered and structured plan that God created with males and females. We all have a variety of different hormone structures, you name it. We are fundamentally different to each other. And in terms of our biological sex, as well as our other traits, you know, our characters, our, you know, our personalities, you name it. I think this conversation, you're going to get a lot out of uh, Josh because he's quite, he's a very wise man and he's been in this this game for a lot longer than I have. He's got a lot more wisdom than I have, which I loved being able to just ask him all these questions regarding manhood. 
And how can not only I become a better man, but how can all of us that are listening to this be more respectful to um, men and not tear them down? And also, if you are a man listening to this, how can you be a better man yourself and be a better or more or less a, a godly man if you choose to be? Ultimately, being a good man comes down to, as what we talk about, a choice. Every single one of us has that choice, same as females have a choice to be a good female. And it was interesting because I don't know if many of you have seen or heard of Matt Walsh and of The Daily Wire, and he's got the new documentary, What is a Woman?, and how these so-called professionals couldn't even answer uh, what is a woman because it's too controversial these days, which I think is just absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, those are my two cents worth. I don't want to be perceived as starting a fight or, or, or judging people. Those are what I believe to be facts from what I've gleaned in, in what God says in his Bible, or in, in the Bible, I should say, and what I have just been able to hear from other people as well. So I hope that you guys get a lot from this. Go and get a copy of Josh's book. It is called The Titus 10, Foundations for Godly Manhood. It is available in the link, uh, all the links below to make it easy for you guys. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Josh Smith. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Thanks so much. I've been looking forward to it as well. And I apologize in advance. We've had to reschedule a few times, but I'm glad that we can make this happen uh, right now. Uh, my very first question for you is, I, I love going to the beginning of the book and looking at who the book is dedicated to. Uh, and you dedicated your book to your one and only son, Desire. You are a living testimony to the healing power of God. I want to ask you about that. May you, like your namesake, follow the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. I love you, son. And you got 2 Kings 23, 25. Are you able to explain why you dedicated your book to your son? Yeah, we could do another podcast on this. But um, so in 2013, I had four daughters. The youngest was one years old. My wife was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Uh, she had a huge tumor in her chest and in her liver. They gave her injections to get uh, chemo to her brain. So 600 hours of chemo, 26 rounds of radiation, uh, major surgery. And after all of that, she survived, which is, and she's thriving. Uh, we were definitely exhausted and done having kids but we had one more coming. So uh, we found out we had another one. It was a boy. Uh, I was reading Second Kings one day and I was reading about Josiah and I thought, man, this is a great guy. I wonder what that name means. And it means the Lord is healed. So oh. that boy's named Josiah and he is a, it's a miracle that he's here and he's, uh, he's a lot of fun. He's seven years old now. Seven years old. And yeah. for those people that don't know who Josiah is in the Bible, are we able to expand on that for a little bit? Sure. Yeah, he was a he was a king in the Old Testament. That was there was not many good kings. There was a lot of bad kings and a few good kings. Josiah was one of the good kings who uh, began to reign when he was a, a young boy, uh, but discovered the law of God at some point in his life and decided, wait a minute, we're living the wrong way and made massive reforms to the entire nation 
uh, as a young man to bring the the entire kingdom back to where they needed to be. So he's a pretty remarkable guy. And that verse that I quote says, there was never a man before him or after him like King Josiah who followed the Lord with all his heart, soul, and strength. So I thought that's a pretty good name for a boy. I imagine having that said about you as, as being a king. And I think you can only count on your hands the amount of good kings there were versus the bad kings, unfortunately. And it's just a true testament to, I guess, the few and far between nature of good kings and and leaders in in society. It's sort of like the same trend has been happening today, I guess, with you've got a couple of good leaders, a couple of good manly leaders that lead you in the right direction. You've got a couple of bad ones as well. And I guess I wanted to ask you about the impact of Josiah versus the understanding of, okay, Josiah was a good king, but in essence, he was a good man too. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, good men uh, are able to do good things. You know, I mean, it's the, it's the fruit and the tree thing, right? So uh, a good tree bears good fruit and Josiah was a good man. And, you know, you're right, Jay, that the reality is, um, we're in a major deficiency of just strong godly leadership. And I think men are sometimes afraid to be men. They're, they're, they're afraid of everybody's view of manhood, but you know what? I want to try to communicate in the book that when a man is a godly man, he's really a servant. Uh, he loves everyone around him, thrives when he's a good man. So yeah, Josiah was a good man. He walked with the Lord. And because of his walk with the Lord, when it was time for him to do something courageous, he was ready because of the kind of man he was. Um, so it was the years of investment making him in that kind of man that that determined his ability to do the right thing at the right time. Is being a good man more of a choice or how you raised? Yeah, so I think, yeah, that nurture versus nature thing, Um I, I think none of us are naturally a good man. Some of us had a lot of better opportunities. Uh, we had good dads. Some of us had good dads. Some of us were surrounded by godly people, maybe in a local church or in a community that that loved them well. There's a lot of guys that that have better models for manhood. I mean, there's there's a lot of young men out there that have never seen a picture of a good, godly, faithful man. Yeah. So certainly some people have a better advantage. But at the same time, uh, all of those advantages don't necessarily make you a good man. There's a lot of people with a lot of advantages that don't turn out to be good people. And so it is a choice. I think we have to decide, man, I, you know, I'm not the man I want to be. I want to be a better man and let's start making progress towards that. And that's one of my greatest passions, just helping guys make progress, just head in the right direction. Yeah. At some point you've got to, I guess, have your own understanding of what it means to be a good man or a godly man. And you've got to understand it for yourself. You can't just rely on other people to do it for you. You've you've got to be your own leader in in essence and form your own character, form your own beliefs. And and I, I personally made that choice. It came through a lot of pain and a lot of grief, but I'm glad that I made it. <laughs> and I am the man that I am today, thanks to God and for putting me through all those things, all those trials and all those yeah. uh, times where I – Got knocked down, but I didn't stay down, as it were. People know that. But um, I guess my my main question to you is, for those people that don't know what it means to be a man or versus a good man, what is the distinction there? 
Yeah, sure. Well, um, somebody told me one time that uh, if you go to the Bible and you really understand Genesis 1 through 3, you can understand everything else in life. And I thought that was a crazy statement. And it took me about 10 years. I kept remembering it. I kept thinking that was strange. But the truth is, all of our confusion about marriage, gender, society, sin, manhood, womanhood, all of that is really found there. And so, you know, as a Christian, what I'm saying is God has a design for us. Walking outside of that design always makes things worse. So that leads to more brokenness. Walking inside that design uh, brings us more towards wholeness. And so as a Christian, I'm trying to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and then seeing how they can put their life back together according to, to, to what I believe is God's design. And, and so a good man is a man who understands why he was created and is willing to live in that creative order and is pursuing goodness, which I would say is by pursuing Jesus Christ. Um, I, I think on the back of the book, it actually says no one's naturally a good guy. So we, we have to learn this and uh, everything in life hinges on what kind of man a man is, but we got to strive to be a good man. So um, I think we need some models. That's why I wrote a book on this guy, Titus. Um, but the truth is a lot of it is just making progress and deciding, you know, you said you had this journey through a lot of pain. And that's a lot of people's story through pain or disappointment or discontent or insecurity. It's either going to drive you to defeat or it's going to drive you to learn to be better. Yeah. I think guys are mostly defeated anyway. Most guys feel like they're not very good at something in their life. So the tone that I want to set in the book and everything else is one more of an encouragement. Hey, let's, I know you feel discouraged and defeated. Let's make progress and let's start moving in the right direction. And I think guys are hungry for that. Why do a lot of men feel like they've been defeated? I think there's a lot of reasons. I, you know, one of the things I see a lot is guys will feel really secure and confident in some areas and really insecure in others. The where I see this the most is uh, a guy will go to work and he'll feel really confident. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to do his job. He comes home and feels like a failure. He doesn't really know how to be a good husband. He doesn't know how to be a good father. He doesn't know how to connect with his kids. So oftentimes, instead of him saying, all right, I want to learn how to do this better, he just kind of gives up. Let someone else raise his kids, and and then he just kind of lives in this sense of of defeat. You know, I think guys struggle so much morally, and I think a lot of our inability to control our flesh leaves us with a sense of just defeat. Um, that man, if you if you get defeated in your moral life or in in just your own life, even if even in your weight or something like that, like you're just you're not being self disciplined, you start feeling defeated. I think it got a lot. A lot of guys live with this cloud over them of defeat. And it just comes from a lot of things in the past. And I think a failure to just say, you know what? Um, I'm not defined by that. I want to, I want to make some progress here to be a better man. Yeah. And you also mentioned, I think there's the identity issue that's going on. Not a lot of men yeah. know who they are. And I say that we get identity oftentimes confused because we go after the thing that we want to do and we associate the thing that we want to do with who we are. But fundamentally that is wrong in, in so many aspects because for a lot of men, they chase after the thing they've been told for many years, that's what you need to do in order to be something in society. And when they get it, they don't feel any different. They feel yeah. miserable still. And they're like, yeah. okay, well, if I, who am I? If I've, I've got this, now what's next? And it's just this right. huge cycle. There's no real core at the base of them and that says, I know who I am foundationally. I was born with a purpose. I was born with an identity and that identity is found fundamentally in Christ. 
And when, right. when they understand it, and this is something that I struggle with for a long time, Josh, until I, it finally clicked like a light bulb moment. Right. And it just, it made sense finally, but it took a long time for me to get that way. So for those people that are struggling with, I guess their identity and they haven't had that light bulb moment yet, how can we help someone get to that understanding of this is your identity? This is who you are. Sure. Yeah, that's such a great question. I, in the first four chapters of the book, I'm kind of making progress. It, the, the rest of the book doesn't necessarily grow progressively, but this is, hey, here's who I was created to be. Um, sin has made me broken, so my manhood is broken. We then go to the gospel of Jesus Christ that helps put us back together. And then I go to identity uh, because a man has to understand. I, I like to say it this way. A man, well, everybody, but I'm talking to men, needs a, a sense of settled, calm identity. The insecurity is gone. The Here's the deal. The comparison, the competition is gone. Yep. So if a man doesn't have identity, he's driven by comparison and competition all the time. He walks through every room comparing himself and competing. And that's a lack of identity. And then I go to assignments. And this goes to what you said, Jay, because a lot of men confuse their assignment with their identity. So they get a job and they find their identity and how successful they are. Then all of a sudden they get laid off and they don't know who they are anymore. Yeah. I was doing a men's conference last weekend and a guy came up to me and he's in his early 60s. He's very successful, but he got laid off because of a new company came in. And he said, my wife's looking at me saying, what are you doing? Like, you're just walking around moping all the time. You got to figure something out. And it was sad because at 60 years old, he still didn't have an identity. And so one of the things I want to help guys do is get this sense before anything else to get a real identity. And, you know, one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible, it's really a sweet moment where God the Father opens up heaven when Jesus is being baptized. And he says publicly out loud, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Every child wants to hear that from his father. Every child wants to hear, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'm glad you're mine, which is what the father said there. Most men didn't hear it. Most children didn't hear it. Women need it too. Every little girl, every little boy needs it. But when a man doesn't hear those words, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're mine. He spends the rest of his life trying to figure out who he is and prove something to someone. So I want people to understand that it's possible through Jesus for the God, the father to look at you and say, Hey, I'm really proud of you. You don't have to, you don't have to be on a treadmill for me of performance. You're good. And I love you and I'm proud of you. And I want guys to be able to feel that. Yeah. I think that's important. I think, um, yeah, when I, when I understood that for myself, it was comforting and yeah. it was beyond anything I'd ever experienced in my life before to know that my heavenly father, not just my earthly father, my heavenly father, one who created me in the first place, accepts me for who I am. And he gave yeah. me my identity. Yeah. That's yeah. powerful. And it's not because of anything you did. Not There's no performance there. So no, he is not pleased with you because of what you did. He's pleased with you because of your faith in Christ. And it is true. And every, you know, it's so funny. I, I even, we can see each other. So I can see on your face, um, when a, when a, when a man comes to the place where he understands that he's okay with God and that God's really proud of him, that is, that is a powerful, powerful moment. Yeah, totally, man. It, it was yeah. for me. I just remember, I remember being in that moment and just having this wash over me, you yeah. know, like, it's yeah. just, oh, it makes sense. Yeah, that's you right. Know? It's just, yeah, it's, I think more men need to have it 
in today's day and age, but there's there's this vicious and and vile attack uh, that is going on, and and a lot of men, number one, don't know what it means to be a man because there's this whole idea of toxic masculinity, they're constantly being being beaten down, and they're society is just broken and, and messed up in, in particular. How can we help a man not get entrapped by this whole notion of toxic masculinity? Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it, it's, it's true in some ways that, that um, women have been oppressed, abused and all those things for years. And um, so all those things are right and good in some ways, but the, the reality is men are afraid to be a man like they, and, and I think because there's this idea that masculinity is toxic. One of the things I talk about in the book, my first chapter is on dominion. And every time I teach on it, I, I tell people, I look over my shoulder to make sure no lady's hearing me. It sounds like a terrible thing to say, but here's what I say about dominion. Okay. A man was created to lead the way in taking dominion. What dominion means is this dominion means to work and to keep. It means to do the hard work of plowing the ground so that the things in your charge will grow. It means protecting. Yeah. So when a man takes dominion, he's serving, he's giving himself for the good of others. It's not authoritative. It's I am suffering and sacrificing so that you can grow. And what I say is when a man is walking with God and he's the kind of man God wants him to be, everything around him is thriving. The women in his life are thriving. His job is thriving. What I say is this, I want every area of a man's life to be better because he's there. And so real masculinity loves, serves, is humble, is gracious and kind. It upholds everyone else above himself. And people thrive when men are like that. And so this is the opposite of that. This is humble, servant, godly masculinity. Let me tell you something, a strong man, I, I talk about, I have a chapter on character. And I talk about how my dad never skinned an animal uh, or killed an animal. He couldn't fix a transmission. He couldn't fix almost anything. But he was the manliest man I know. And the reason is, is because he just had really deep character. And he just loved God and loved people. He was courageous. He would stand for what is right. And so a real ma real masculinity really is, is humble and gracious and kind and exists to help everyone else around them grow and thrive. Let's talk about godly character. So for those people that are wondering, okay, what does godly character really look like? Yeah. To expand on that for people? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, I, I, this book is called The Titus 10. And, and the reason is, is because there's this little letter in the Bible, uh, 46 verses is all it is. And Paul writes to Titus, who was his co-worker uh, in the faith. Paul often sent Titus on some very difficult assignments. Titus was just this courageous man. And he writes to him because they had discovered this really dysfunctional church in Crete. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the funniest verses in the New Testament is uh, Paul says, the Cretan poets say, Cretans are evil beasts and lazy gluttons. And then Paul says that testimony is true, which is really funny. Um, so Titus goes into this church, it's dysfunctional, and it's being ravaged by godless men. It says these men have come into the church and they're teaching for shameful gain not for the good of other people, but for their own gain. And they're tearing the church apart. They're tearing families apart. And so Titus uh, is told by Paul, the first thing you need to do to Titus is go get men and put them in the right place. Which even says to there, what's the solution for a dysfunctional church or family or society or workplace? It's good, good men is what I would say. 
And so then you can just see Titus asking the question, well, what is what kind of men am I looking for? And then he gives these character qualities in Titus, someone that's hospitable and a lover of good, self-controlled and disciplined, uh, not arrogant or quick-tempered. And he just begins to write out these qualities. And what you look at is every one of these qualities, everyone would acknowledge that this is the opposite, not greedy for gain. This, this is the opposite of toxic manhood. This is a guy who really, you know, seeks the good of others. And he begins to give these qualities of what a good character looks like. And so I walk through those and just talk about what is the character of a godly man. And the truth is, it's the character that looks a lot like Jesus. Mm, yeah. Putting everything into going back to Jesus and looking at what he did and the kind of man that he was while he was here on this earth. And I guess the the whole model in, in today's day and age says that, you know, or, or before, like this is what I grew up with, men don't cry, men don't show really much emotion and all that sort of, th- all that sort of stuff. But you look at men in the Bible, they were some of the most courageous and the most the men of valor and they still showed emotion. Like you look at David, I mean, he killed people yeah. for goodness sake and yet he had, he was one of the most emotional men in the Bible. Yeah. He was constantly lamenting. He was constantly pouring out his heart towards God. I mean, he was dancing. There was a, there's a story in the Bible where he's dancing in front of people. He was showing that side. So I guess in today's society, they talk about the masculine and the feminine and how we've got both. Is there any truth to that found in the Bible? Well, I, yeah, I would be careful to, um, I think what you're saying by that is is what could be said, but others saying that these emotions and all that kind of stuff, these are feminine qualities. These are manly qualities. So a man has both. Well, no, uh, a real man who knows himself and knows his God is going to have emotions. We're created in the image of God and God's an emotional God. Yeah. So God rejoices. God gets angry. God, there's all of these emotions and, and every man needs to have them. You know, I have a chapter in the book on zeal and I've never... Uh, read another chapter on zeal anywhere. But I talk about the zeal of the Lord and how God wants to create zealous people. It's in the book of Titus. Um, And zeal begins in the mind, truth, but then moves to the heart and it's passion. And you're right. um, Real men need to cry. They need to look at their daughter when their daughter's sad and be able to weep with them. Uh, They need to rejoice. They need to get angry about things. You know, I tell a story in the in the book. I, I was watching TV uh, a couple of years ago, and I, I see this lady there, a video of this lady getting assaulted on a train station in New York City. And I always turn those videos off. I have I have four daughters, and I can't handle those kind of things. But I, I the reason I kept it on is because what I was noticing is men videoing this and not doing anything. Yep. So there was grown men standing there videoing. Well, that should make you angry. Yep. Like the oppression of women, injustice, uh, human trafficking, those things should make you angry. Um, and so a man who is healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, will get angry at things he needs to get angry at, will be calm at the things he needs to be calm at, and will rejoice in the things he needs to rejoice at. Those are not feminine qualities. That's that's human qualities. Yeah. I was actually, the whole feminine and the masculine thing, I was basically asking that question to see if there was any truth. I know there's not. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, it's good. No, it's a very yeah. good question. Because, yeah, I, I've spoken with a lot of people regarding manhood. and. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It remains to be a man. Again, so many different perspectives. But when you are being brought up with, you got to prove everything to what the word of God says. If it doesn't line up, then it's not true. So I've right. proved it. And I don't believe in that sort of thing. I do believe that men have emotions, but to, sure. to, to make it about a feminine side of things, I don't agree with. So right. that's my whole, that's why I wanted to ask you as well, create context well, for people. Well, and I would say this too. I think a previous generation of men often felt like their one job and only job was provision. Yeah. So they weren't asked to come home and have deep conversation or engage with the children or um, ask the children how they were doing or. And so if your one job is only provision, your emotions don't matter. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. did you bring home enough money for the family? And it's just a really bad view of a of a husband's role or a man's role that he only exists to provide. Man, I you know, I've got five kids at home. I've got to connect with them on a spiritual, emotional level. Um, I've got to connect with my wife. You can't do that being stoic all the time. And so, man, if a guy, if a guy is gonna is gonna be the man God's called him to be, he's gotta learn how to how to feel. Yep. You know, and, and that's a healthy feeling. You gotta find, I guess, a sense of harmony between it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's true. I, I mean, like. again, we I I tell guys all the time, go to work and work hard, go home, work hard, and go to bed tired. Um, <laughs> and so everything in life is a lot of work and home is a lot of work when you got five kids, it is. So, and we got a guy's got to go home and walk in the door and get to it. You know, I really think that's true. At the same time, man, a lot of life is um, looking at someone, stopping, being quiet for a minute, asking somebody how they're doing. The Bible says we should weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah. And a guy's got to be able to connect on that level with his family, his kids, other men. Um, so I'm I'm so glad you brought up that topic. Yeah, I also liked what you were talking about, about men get angry and yeah. about certain injustices in the world. I mean, there's a lot that I've been seeing, uh, not just going about my daily life, but also in the news that just really, really not only upsets me, but to, it makes me angry, like, if I was in that position, would I do something differently? And and more than likely I, I would have. And another thing that annoys me is when all the seats have been taken and an elderly person or even a female gets on, on the bus or on the train and nobody gets gives her the seat. So I was always brought up with chivalry's not dead when I'm still alive. So and I'll, I'll always teach that to my to my kids. Hey, hey, if you've got, I don't care if you're a man, but you're an elderly man, I'm still going to give up my seat because yeah. that's how I was raised in, in right. doing it. And so whenever I see uh, a female standing up or whatever, and there's this young kid sitting down, I'll get up, I'll get up. And I'll also tell the young kids to get up and let the woman decide which seat she wants to take. Yeah. 
because yeah. young people should not be sitting down with <laughs> someone else that's standing, right? That's the way I yeah. see it. It's not dead, but it seems like it's close to dying, doesn't it? I mean, it does, those kind of general principles. And let me let me tell you this. I I would think, I don't know, I don't know this, but I would think your dad told you that or someone in your life, some man probably taught you something like that. Yeah, my dad, my mom, my grandfather yeah. had a lot of godly examples in my life. That's good. That's good. Me so if a, guy, if a guy doesn't grow up with that or a girl doesn't grow up with anyone sitting down, you know, the book of Proverbs, um, the first nine chapters are a conversation between a father and a son. The yep. mother's involved. We know that from chapter one. So the mother is instructing and teaching. But it's just a bunch of practical wisdom. And I think that's what we've lost. We've lost conversations in which we say things like this, you know, like, um, I mean, silly things. My staff always jokes with me that I always polish my shoes. And uh, <laughs> but my dad just taught me to polish my <laughs> shoes. So I do it. Uh, but I think some of those basic things we've lost because there's just a lack of conversations about being a decent human being. And so hopefully the book that I've written will help stir up just some of those basic conversations. I'm finding a lot of men. Matter of fact, today I, um, a guy came by and got three books for his three sons. He just wants to start meeting and talking about it. I'm hoping guys will just have conversations with their sons. Just let's talk about manhood. Is there a different feeling you being a father to your daughters versus being a father to your son? Yeah, this is another podcast too, but I, uh, (laughs) I, I tell you what, I have four daughters. I grew up the youngest of three boys. So our house was all boy. Um, I love those girls, man. It is, it is, it's a joy. I don't, the, the emotions don't bother me. None of that stuff bothers me. I, I love it. And then honestly, when I found out we were having a boy, I thought, I joke with this. I really was, I was, I would have been great with a fifth girl. I was, I thought I knew how to be a girl dad and I was good at it. Um, but man, I'm telling you, they're different just in their DNA. They're different for sure. And then just learning how to engage with them in a different way. It's, I love both of them, but I'm telling you, there, there is a difference in the way that you raise boys and girls and what girls need and what boys need. And I'm, I'm learning that. Um, I'll tell you what both of them need. Both of them need a strong, good, godly father. Yeah. Um, the girls need it. There's been so much research done. A, a doctor named Meg Meeker has written a bunch of stuff on fathers and daughters Man, the statistics of what happens uh, when a boy or a girl is in a fatherless home. And a lot of ladies may be listening to this and they're in that situation. What I would say to them is get in a church where they can find some fathers, some spiritual fathers that'll help them. Uh, but both groups need a, both boys and girls need a, need a good man in their life uh, to encourage them and love them. But there's definitely a difference. I wanted to ask you this really, really tough question because it is part of what it means to be a man and it is part of, I guess, the whole culture of, of today's day and age. And we sort of touched on it a little bit before, but the whole gender debate, the whole gender diversity thing that's going on, how can we help people understand that whole concept, especially if they don't believe in God? I mean, did you see yeah. the Matt Walsh, What is a Woman documentary? And... I guess there's a whole biological aspect to it, but there's also another side of what it means to be a woman. But then what does it mean to be a man in essence? So are we able to dive into this? It may seem, I don't think it's controversial at all. <laughs> I don't think we need to have this yeah. conversation, but the yeah. whole gender debate, um, how sure. we, how do we navigate this one? Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. I, I had a lady in our, my previous church who worked in the gender dysphoria 
um, floor of a hospital. She wow. really was working in something else. They tried to move her there and she actually ended up quitting. And the reason she quit is because what she was seeing is a little boy comes in and he's got an older sister. And so he likes to play with her baby doll. So then the mom and dad think, well, maybe he needs to be a girl. Yeah. And what she was seeing, I mean, this is firsthand accounts. Like she's just seen a lot of parents pushing this in a way that a child is not. Um, I mean, I've got five kids day to day, who knows what they're going to be and how they're going to act and, and what they're going to be excited about and what they're going to love and hate. I mean, you know, it's Christmas time. They asked for something December 1st. And then by the 15th, they forgot they even wanted that. And then you get it for them and they think, well, I never wanted that. And I say, yeah, you put it on your list. Yeah. Well, that was three lists ago. So the problem is, is parents in a sense are, are kind of making these decisions for their children in a way that's really not healthy. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a big concern there, but Jay, the question you asked really was, how do we talk about this when you don't have a foundation of the Bible? And I'm not sure you do. Yeah. I really, I don't know how you do this unless you have some foundation that God has created male and female, both beautiful in his image. Um, and there's two genders created by God. Um, there are a very, very few as a pastor. I've seen two situations like this where a child was born and there was genuine confusion by the doctor on if it was male or female. I've seen two of those situations in my 20 years of being a pastor. Uh, those are difficult, complicated. That's not the majority of what we're talking about here. This is a lot of confusion and um, it's really hard to talk about unless you believe in God's design. Yeah. So that yeah. confusion, that that two aspect, I want to play the devil's advocate here because that stuff yeah. does actually happen. That two incidences, how did you navigate that conversation? Yeah, I was a pastor at, at a, it's two separate churches. I've only pastored two churches in my life and, and um, both churches have had that situation. One I was a part of when the baby was born and they were asking, one was someone who was grown and we're having this conversation. Um, and, and honestly, this is the doctor being baffled um, at the moment of whether this male or female. Um, and I think one made a good decision. I think one didn't. Um, and what I saw though, is both for both parents, it made complete conflict. I know one of the families aren't together anymore. Uh, it's a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of confusion. And those are, those are the times in which they need help and they need, they need, they need to have these conversations. The sad thing is there's tons of other people trying to have these conversations and they're not in that situation. That's not the truth. I mean, they, you know exactly what they are. It's clear what they are. They're either one gender or the other. Yeah. And that's the sad part. The sad part is, although there are very few instances in which that's confusing, the vast majority of people dealing with this, it's not confusing at all. You know, the male or female is pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, you hear, um, I watched not the whole documentary, but most of it, you hear these so-called experts in quotation marks trying to distinguish between what is a woman, for example, but they can't do it. They're, they can't. They can't explain it. And it's the same thing with, I guess, when you ask them what is a man, they can't yeah. explain it either. Well, when you take out the basics of anatomy, which they've done, they have to do that because you can't have this conversation if you go back to anatomy. So a woman is not someone who has woman's anatomy. That's not a woman anymore. A woman is anything. Well, then it's it's utter confusion. And I think the sad thing, you know, Romans 1 talks a lot about how a person's mind is darkened over time, over believing lies. And you look at this and you think, 
we're insane. Like, yeah. how are we having these conversations? Like, I can't, you can't define a woman. Yep. Like, and, and you just can't even believe it. But the Bible says that this happens. I mean, people, their minds get darkened. And so this, this can happen. But um, it's, you know, when you take out the most basic definitions, uh, you're left with just a lot of confusion. And they, you're right. They can't answer their own questions. With all this confusion going on, we're trying to make sense of it all, right? Where do you see the future of manhood going? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I just, I, not only did I just write a book on it, but I, I'm discovering more and more that the great passion of my life is to speak into the lives of men. I, and, you know, partly because I have four daughters. I need at least four good guys out there uh, <laughs> to, to marry my daughters. So at least four. Um, but you'll vet them. Um, yeah, they go, oh, I'll vet them, I promise. But, you know, I think, I think the reality is I, I think we're going to see in the days ahead, uh, more of a hunger for the right kind of men, strong, courageous, yet they understand the value of women. They honor women. They respect women in every possible way. Uh, they uphold the dignity of a woman. Uh, but they, they're strong and courageous. They're men of conviction. I have, I have a chapter in my book on doctrine. I almost didn't put the chapter in. I, I needed to because it's so big in the book of Titus, but I thought men are going to read a chapter on doctrine. But what I'm realizing is we have a generation of, of sometimes ignorant men, like they haven't thought clearly and carefully. This is a confusing generation. Things, the, the stuff we we're just talking about, that stuff is hard. Yep. It's confusing. So we need men who are thinking carefully. I, I think there's there's growing to be a real need and a place. And these are the men that will thrive um, who have who have taken the time to cultivate good manhood. They're humble, they're godly, they're thoughtful, they know the word of God, they're filled with doctrine, they've got zeal, character, all of that. These men are gonna rise to the top. These men are gonna have opportunities to lead and they're gonna do it. And when they do, they're gonna, they're gonna make change. Yeah, you'll see. It's going to it's going to get worse before it gets good, in my understanding. I mean, you look at how other societies have fallen; they've attacked the man. Man's just gotten beaten down. But then there's like it's gotten so bad that they cry out for the actual man to step up right. and say, "Hey, that's we right. need help. Where are you?" And that's yeah, when yeah. they do. Like I remember, yeah. um, you know, you look at like World War II, for example, and you look at the men that fought for our generation and you look at the man today, I, I wonder, I wonder if they knew the generation of men that would come up, I wonder if they still would have gone. Yeah. That's my yeah. thought process, man. It's a, it's a good and a little bit disheartening question. So, you know, one of the things that is real important to me, and I, I talk about this a lot in the book and it's in, it's in the book of Titus as well. These multi-generational relationships are really important. Um, these older men who maybe feel they fought in some wars. There's still there's still some of these guys around. Yep. Um, and they've worked hard and they've suffered and they've sacrificed for their families. They're feeling as they get older that no one wants them or needs them. And what they don't realize is there's a younger generation behind them that desperately needs them. Yep. And my hope is that people, those groups would get together, take a book like this and say, let's talk about manhood together. Uh, you don't need four 22-year-old guys around a table talking about manhood. You got to get one guy in his 80s in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and we need those conversations being had. I love those kind of conversations. I mean, yeah. some of the best conversations I've had on this show have been from the older 
older people. I remember speaking with a 90, she's now 95 years old. She's a yeah. Holocaust survivor. Amazing conversation. And then I had a yeah. conversation with, uh, he was the former governor of Wisconsin and he's mm. in his 80s, looked after his wife who had Alzheimer's disease oh. for 18 years. Oh. Didn't leave her, nothing. Looked after her. He was faithful right up until the end and still is faithful, which is amazing. Oh, I love that. It's just amazing. There was so much that I learned from his take yeah. of just life and the appreciation right. and gratitude. And I like, we need more men, <laughs> the older men to teach the younger men those kinds of principles and those kinds of, that kind of wisdom so they it's can true, take it into their life. Yeah, it's true. And what I would say is if any young guys are listening to this, uh, the impetus is on the young guys. I mean, it it's awkward for an older guy to say, an older guy can't say, you have a lot to learn from me. Like, he's not going to say that. A young guy really has to initiate that relationship. And, and I've found in the context of teaching this book, the way I do it now is I teach this on Thursday mornings for 11 weeks. I have round tables. The best tables are the tables with older guys and younger guys together. But what I tell the young guys all the time is, guys, you've got to pursue the older guy. And don't make it awkward. Don't say mentor me. Say, can we get a cup of coffee? Yeah. Can we go to lunch? Can I buy you lunch? And just ask him questions. Uh, oh, my goodness. I wish every young guy listening to this would find one older man that he's in any area he's thought is wise and just go out and buy him lunch. He'll probably buy you lunch. But buy him lunch and uh, just ask him questions. I, I these older generation, they're feeling like they don't have anything left or to offer and they're useless. And that lunch right there would change your life and his. Yeah. It's like when I was a kid, I remember the conversations I used to have with my grandfather. Great conversations. And being yeah. able to ask him a bunch of questions. And I, I this is just me growing up. I used to go up to adults and ask them mm. weird, wild and outrageous questions. Because <laughs> I loved it. I loved the learning aspect of things. Yeah. I think more people need to be curious, especially men. They need mm. to be curious enough to go up to an older person and ask them a question or ask them a series of questions. doesn't matter what the question is, just ask them. And yeah. I think also having a, a church body yeah, also is a foundational aspect of that. You can find a lot of old people in the church, no doubt. That's right. So young people do it. <laughs> That's true. Well, and honestly, most families don't live as close as they used to. So it's not that everybody, three generations live in the same house or in the same street. That's just not reality anymore. So where are you going to find these relationships? And Jay, you're right. The primary place is the local church. And I took a lot about that in my book, that that the local church is the place in which you find these relationships. It really is one of the places you learn how to be a man by watching these older men. And I tell the story in the beginning of my book that really the reason for I started writing this 15 years ago at all is because I, I came to pastor a church that still had charter members, members that were there when the church started 50 years before I got there. They were good, godly, sacrificial men that did everything for the church. I mean, they told so many stories about the church and they were dying. I was doing their funerals and I didn't see any young guys coming up after them. And it scared me. And I thought, I got to do something like I, these guys have been holding this thing together for 50 years and I don't see anybody else ready to step in. And uh, it was really that that motivated me to decide I want to do everything I can in my power to help raise another generation of these good, strong men who love their church, they love their family, and they're faithful in the workplace. Well, that's another area that we haven't touched on. I mean, young men stepping up to pastor churches, to lead yep. churches, congregations, that's under attack too. We see a lot of 
I guess you can call them a lot of celebrity pastors. I hate using that term being they're walking away and it's not just celebrity pastors. It's more independent pastors too, whether it's, you know, it's all kinds of things. So there's not just man was under attack. The church is under attack and yes, it's sad. So we need, we do need a lot of young men to step up and well, courage and help. We do. And we, you know, I think the thing, the celebrity pastor thing is done. And I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't know what to think about that term, but I think what happens is you see this guy who's pastor this massive church and he's got this great music program, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you say, I want to be that guy. Well, the problem is that's like a, a half of a half of a half percent of every pastor out there. Yep. Most pastors, the calling of a pastor is to find a community and a little church and love those people until you die. And that that's not, romantic and it's not exciting. And it's, I mean, there's a lot of pain and suffering in that, but it's a really good thing to do. And so the kind of pastors we need to raise are pastors that will go into community, love the people, live with the people and just be faithful to preach the word of God. We need those kind of guys. Yeah. You said it, Josh. The Titus 10 Foundations for Godly Manhood. Where can people get a copy of his book before I ask you Uh, a couple of questions? Yeah, most any place they're sold. I think most people are getting on Amazon. My my price that I get them for is not much cheaper than Amazon. So, uh, but uh, any of those places, and and it was really written uh, to be used in the context of guys getting together and reading a chapter. There's discussion question and it's having um, having conversations. They can reach me. Our church is Prince Avenue Baptist Church, and that's pabc.org. They can reach out to me. My email's on there if they have any questions. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I understand the sentiment of not getting your own book for much cheaper <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> I tell, here's what I tell people. I tell people there's two things they need to do about writing books. Number one, there's no money in it yep. unless you're a big deal already. And number two, uh, most of the time, no one tries to promote it Yep. and you're on your own. Yep. So um, I think every time you get a book, people think, well, it must be nice having that extra cash. I'm like, I have no extra cash. As a matter of fact, I'm down $5,000 because I just bought them to give away. <laughs> That you is know what I'm exactly about. what happened to me. <laughs> I'm glad someone else understands. Oh, it's, it's exactly right. So buy Jay's book, buy my book, help us out. And uh, yeah, I yeah, mean, it's true. I love this conversation. Uh, I think a lot of people would have then go and get a copy of the book to support Josh's work. And we need more people like you, Josh, to share this kind of wisdom with the world and, and these kind of stories. My my two two final questions for you, Josh. I've I've loved this conversation. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Oh, what a great question. Okay, so I would say uh, I have a picture in my office. It's on the other side. I can't get to it right now, but where it has a picture of my dad, both of my granddads, and both of my great granddads. All of them are pastors. Fourth generation on both sides. So I tell people I tried to sell insurance, but that's not what we do. So, um, so I think I'm, I'm really grateful that God has given me a beautiful heritage. Um, and so I'm grateful for the, those giftings that God has given. And it's not like I didn't feel forced into this. I feel like God's really gifted me in that way. And there's just something really special about that. And I, I'm, I think I'm thankful for that. Uh, I am really grateful for just that heritage. And, and I love being a pastor. I love being a father. I really, I really enjoy the things God's called me to do. I haven't always. I've had a lot of angst and insecurity through the years, but I'm at a place now where I love going home and be with my family and I love going to work. And I'm really glad I feel that way. That's good. This is my uh, question. 
Oh, the other question was, what do you love about your story? I think oh, oh. by yourself. Yeah. Oh my goodness. God's just so gracious. I, I, I don't, I don't know how any of us get to do anything and be anywhere. We're all just a bunch of, you know, goofballs trying to figure it out. So I, I'm just thankful that God's gracious and kind and, and that he's patient. You know, I end the book by telling men, uh, that direction matters more than distance. Yeah. I spent all of my life trying to get dire- distance. I want to be here, here, here. If like a few years ago, the Lord just said, Hey, you start going in the right direction. I'll worry about the distance. And the moment that I started forgetting about the distance is the moment I just felt like a calm went over my heart and just said, let's just go in the right direction. So I'm thankful for God's word and revealing those things to me. Mm, Direction. Super important, actually. This is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic for sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Hey, that's a great question. That should That's your next book right there. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on it. That, that's a good, yeah, that's a good one. You know, I think for me, um, I really want the theme to be that I was, I was consistent and faithful that I, that I, you know, as a pastor now, the only thing you have to do to be a a great pastor is just not mess up. Everybody's messing up. Everybody's blowing it, you know? And I just, you know, I want, I want my family to look back and go, he was faithful till the end. Like he just, he did what was right. He was consistent. Um, you know, I tend to be, my wife's the consistent one. I tend to be up and down and just, man, he just loved us. He was consistent. He did what was right. He kept doing what was right. And all the way till a hundred, he's still going at it. Like, I just want to be faithful and consistent. I don't mean that trite. Like, I mean, like, I really just want to every day be consistently faithful, um, and do the things that God has entrusted me with, do them well. Um, so I don't know, but I'm going to think, I'm going to go to bed tonight thinking about that question. It's a good one. I love it. It's a really good one. <laughs> it's I'm going to use it. My, uh, my favorite question at the end, actually. So That's awesome. It gets people to think about the kind of leader they are on this earth, yeah. and the kind of yeah. life they're choosing to live. So, yeah, love creating those kind of questions. But anyway, Josh, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your advice, your stories, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Well, I'm thankful for you and your ministry, Jay. Thanks so much for doing this. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.